Welcome back to The Craft. I'm Carter, and I'm here with my friend Colby. And today, we are continuing our Cal Newport book review series. Uh, This book series was kind of brought from Colby's summer reading. We've just brought it right into the podcast, and it's been a site of some fruitful discussion. So if you haven't listened to them already, we have reviewed Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism, and we also reviewed Deep Work. And so today, we're going to kind of do the third best-selling, I think this one's best-selling too, uh, A World Without Email. And so I think, Colby, the plan today, you're going to give us a little intro to Newport, a little summary of the book, and then we'll kind of get into the conversation. Yeah, man, that sounds great. I'm really excited about this. Cal Newport's been really good to read this summer. I mean, I've read all three of these books kind of at the same time, back to back, pretty much. I'm pretty sure I checked like I have one, I have deep work and I checked the other two out of the library at the same time. I just knocked them out in like a month and it was really, really encouraging and inspiring. And so I'm excited to talk about this. So I wanted to give kind of a brief bio. I pulled this off his website and then we can dive into that summary and get the conversation going. So Cal Newport is a computer science professor at Georgetown University, who's also a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including A World Without Email, Digital Minimalism, and Deep Work which have been published in over 35 languages. In addition to his books, he's a regular contributor to The New Yorker, The New York Times, and Wired, and a frequent guest on NPR, and the host of the popular Deep Questions podcast. He's been publishing articles here on calnewport.com and on his email newsletter for over a decade. So highly recommend really all the the uh, sources and resources mentioned in that bio. I've listened to his Deep Questions podcast a good bit this summer and gotten a lot of good insights and practical advice from that and just been entertained by it too. And his website has some really good resources as well. But now I just want to dive straight into the meat of the conversation by giving us a kind of two-minute summary of A World Without Email. So really the big idea of this book The modern knowledge worker brings value into the workplace by focusing and creating valuable insights and ideas, but there's a massive chunk of our time that gets sucked away by email, which is pretty much the opposite of bringing value by focusing and creating valuable insights and ideas. And so that's the the big problem that he's addressing in this book is distraction and all of this time spent on email, Slack, and other you know, digital notifications pinging us all the time. It's also very pertinent to the past couple of years because of, you know, the pandemic and going remote that, you know, many people going remote and working asynchronously, all those things I think tie in really well to this book. So that's probably why it was so helpful for me. But in order to create more lasting value for yourself as an individual and your company that you work in, or just in your creative endeavors, kind of tying it in here to the podcast, his idea is that we need to turn off this hyperactive hive mind. That's kind of his big term for all these digital distractions and instant messaging that happens all day long. We need to cut those things off and replace them with thoughtful systems. And Cal thinks that the best way to do that is building a pull system for managing your work transparently across a team, if you're in an organization, or even just like managing your own personal to-do list. So there's a lot of practical applications he provides in the book, but really the big idea is email and Slack and constant instant messaging is the problem and reworking the way that we work is kind of the solution. 
So that's my uh, summary. What do you think about that, Carter? I'll kick it back to you, I guess. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting kind of avenues we could pursue here. The first one I wanted to ask you, I know you're on a big Newport kick this summer, but was there a particular reason that you wanted to read this one? Or was it just kind of in the lineup? I think, I can't remember a specific reason, but my I would say it was either because of listening to the podcast or just because I wanted to, this is just a bad answer. I can't remember is the answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally fair. The other thing that I think might be helpful too to start with is I think both of us have vocations that are very much email, email adjacent. Yeah. Like I think you're on Slack a lot with your company. I don't use Slack, but everything in academia is on Outlook. I mean, everything mm-hmm. is email. And so it, it is different, I'm I'm sure, across different crafts, how much you have to interface with these sort of things. Mm-hmm. But for both of us, you know, this is definitely something that I have experienced email overload where you're not quite sure how to respond. Do I respond to them as they come in? Do I wait a while? I really like his hyperactive hive mind. Like, I don't know why that resounds with me, but it seems to be a nice metaphor to like, it can easily become a place in our workflows. And I don't know if I even want to use the word workflow. Is that too, I don't know if it's made a parody of itself yet, but like we can be so disciplined in how we approach projects and processes. And then when we get to email, we're like, just like shooting from the hip. That's how I feel. Like I can have like a very methodical approach to working on a project. And then I have no theory of how to use email. Mm -hmm. And I imagine a lot of people feel this way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the problem exists no matter whether you're a freelancer or you work at a company or you, you're just a creative, you know, doing things as a hobby. Like it doesn't really matter. I think you have, uh, an inundation of constant distractions. That's really, it's very in line with his ideas in deep work, I think, because the core concept relates to how do you put more value into the world? And the thing getting in the way of that is distractions. And so it's like, whether you're, if you're a freelancer or just doing things for a hobby, maybe that, maybe it's just like your phone is distracting you and text messages from family members and constantly kind of that like urge to respond as soon as you get things hijacks all of our days sometimes. So I think, yeah, I mean, I don't remember why I started to read this particular book this summer, but I think it was super relevant and especially relevant in a world where we're continuing to do more work from home and, you know, can complete projects asynchronously. Like a lot of the music projects I've been working on, people are in other states or countries and you're working on stuff and you're communicating over a Slack or an email and yeah, we need to rethink how we do that so we do it well. Yeah, I mean, this even goes back to episode one with the monotasking. Uh, this seems to be a crucial kind of takeaway from the book, trying to make that shift from being reactive, like you're saying, to as emails come in, addressing them, to something where you're batching, you have a particular time of the day that you're checking email. And I know you have done, okay, I have not done a good job doing this. We have talked about this before, uh, but you've kind of, I remember you were telling me how you were putting this into practice. Are you still doing that? Like, are you still setting times where you check email? Honestly, I, I definitely ebb and flow through that habit. And right now I'm 
ebbing, I guess you could say. <laughs> I'm not doing it, but um, uh, yeah, I definitely the big picture strategy there. I think it's probably been popularized by like Tim Ferriss, but batching, you know, one or two times a day, choosing a time when you're going to check all your email, maybe you throw in your text messages in there too, and kind of responding, then stepping away, closing it down, not rechecking. There's actually this very applicable quote that I'll share really quickly is there's a study done. Let me just read this real quick. One study estimates that by 2019, the average worker was sending and receiving 126 business emails per day, which works out to about one message every four minutes. A software company called Rescue Time recently measured this behavior directly using time tracking software and calculated that its users were checking email or instant messenger tools like Slack once every six minutes on average. So time batching is pretty much fighting against that urge to check every six minutes. And I definitely recommend that. Yeah, I think we, I mean, we recognize the problem. I love that other quote that you have here. Constant communication is not something that gets in the way of real work. It's instead become intertwined in how this work gets done. Mm. And so I think that's totally true. I mean, this idea that we need to be responsive all the time. For me, it's notifications, you know, just pinging those. I see an email, your mind goes after it. I mean, this goes right back to the idea of deep work. But I wonder why it's difficult. I, I don't know if it's because I haven't put a conscious effort to do to like actually say I'm only going to check it between 9:30 and 10 or like check in and and maybe I maybe I should try that. Maybe we'll maybe I'll give it a run because you were having some pretty good success with it when you were doing it. Like how did that go to circle back? Well, I will say, you know, I'm not I haven't been doing it much, but I also just haven't been so I I have gotten a little bit lazy about checking email whenever I'm distracted or just like having that habit of clicking a new tab, typing in GM enter. You know what I mean? Like that's just become a tick whenever I don't really know what to do next. Just check email, check email. But I will say I check it less. I just am not in email a lot at my, at my work. So it's not as much of a distraction at the moment. Slack would probably be a bigger distraction, but yeah, I think whenever I was doing it super, super effective, did I, I totally like blanked on your question just now. Did that answer it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the key here is, I think, responding less. I think he talks about being harder to reach, which is a good thing. I mean, don't be annoyingly hard to reach. I think I've, I've said this before with email. Of like, We have, you know, some in academia tend to be very difficult to reach, uh, which there's a certain level of, you know, responsiveness. But does anyone need a response within three hours of when they send the email? Usually not, right? It, it, you know, even if someone responds in a couple of days, it's typically fine. I mean, how much, how many emails are really, really urgent? Not right. a lot of them. And so I think that's part of it. You know, I, the other thing I was thinking about while, you know, preparing for the podcast, there's a theorist named Harmut Rosa, and he's written a book. I might've mentioned this before in the podcast. Um, it's Acceleration and Alienation, or it might those actually might get switched. We, we can put it in the uh, in the description. But he's a social theorist, and his main contribution is the idea that modernity has been defined by acceleration, meaning that our work, our pace of life, everything has 
increased speed, our transportation, our access to knowledge. And what that does is it begins to alienate us from things. And so one of the examples he actually gives is about email. And he was talking about email promised to save us time. Look, we don't have to do stamps. We don't have to wait for it to get there. We're going to be spending so much less time worrying about communicating. This is going to be great. It's going to be a time saver. But actually, email has you know, inversely increased the amount of time that we're spending in correspondence. And so the thing that was designed to start saving us time and moving, you know, accelerate us has actually had this unintended effect of making us spend more time with it. And it just strikes me as like totally true Mm -hmm. because now that you are just an email away and everybody's got pretty much a smartphone, you're always just an email away. And I think it's, I think Rosa's right to say this actually probably, you know, this has got social implications. Like this is a different way of a human being living in the world when you're only an email away. This is quite different than, you know, any other situation previously. And so thinking about how does this speed things up? How does, you know, how does our relationship with, communication change with email? Those are the kind of questions I think people have been asking about texting too, you know, over the last 25 years. And I think they're worth asking because it's easy for these things to become normalized and it's just the daily routine. Yeah. You know, but when you start kind of prodding it and start thinking about, this is a relatively new phenomenon being this accessible to anyone who wants to email me, you know, students don't have to wait until next class or come by my office hours. They can just email me. Like it's, I mean, it's changing yep. the way education is right. done. You, some, you know, you take asynchronous classes where you don't even go into school. There's just all these ways in which I think email is a touchstone, like one kind of major example of a broader trend. Any, I don't know, I, I threw that out there. Is anything kind of resound to that or, or come to your mind? There's so many places that we could take this right now. There's some really good thoughts in there. I think that one thing I would like to say is that I think these principles are going to apply. Like this conversation could be applicable to many other forms of communication aside from just email. And so even if this episode was still listened to years later and email's like not really a thing anymore or something, which is unlikely, but if that's the case, it's still applicable, I think, just to all this instant communication that happens now. And I think you're right. I think that there's, with the increase of ease, there's a, a decrease in the effort of thought that goes into communication. And even one of the kind of practical ideas he tackles in the book is like how we're bad at email sometimes. Like we just do these one sentence responses and it's pretty much a constant shuffle of moving work from from my to-do list onto yours. Like, let me just clear my inbox, get to inbox zero. Let me just, sure. Okay, yeah, let's want to meet for coffee. Sure, what times work for you? You know, so like he's practically encourages, you know. Actually, this might be from the four-hour work week, that book. But just that similar idea to tie in here is like, rather than being so passive in your communication, start like taking action, doing like, cool, you want to get coffee? Yeah, let's do it. How does 
next Thursday, 7 a.m. at this coffee shop sound to you? And if not, how about this alternate plan? That's a very particular example, but just the idea of being intentional and thoughtful with your communication rather than just, oh yeah, I'll just kind of bounce this back into their court and um, just kind of the thought, the the lack of thought that can go into communication, I think, because it's so um, accessible and easy. And this is totally in the Newport wheelhouse of like just trying to winnow away the things that are like just consuming time. And, you know, consuming time in a way that's just, no one's... I don't know. I'd have never met someone who's like, man, I just love responding to emails. It's not like it's a fulfilling task. It's not like writing letters. I mean, I guess there's, if it's a social email and you're emailing a friend or family member, right? That's different. But it doesn't seem like anyone is sitting down to their job and they're like, man, one of my favorite parts of the day is just responding to emails. I just love email. If you're out there, let us know. And we want to, we want to hear about it. But the whole idea that how can we best manage with intention the aspects that we tend not to pay attention to? I mean, it really seems like an attention thing. Like if we start giving mm-hmm. attention to it and writing, like you said, thoughtful, crafted emails, I mean, that's something I try to do now. When do you want to meet? I just don't ask that question anymore. I always say, I've got mm-hmm. availabilities on Monday, Wednesday. Could I come by your you know, office? Like something as simple as that saves an email, doesn't take up that bandwidth like we've used that metaphor before, right? I don't have to try to scramble and do that and back and forth. And so, yeah, I think this definitely fits within the the deep work mindset too of trying to give yourself space because it's like one of those things, as much space as you give it, like you can, like it'll take as much as you give to it. Definitely. I totally agree. If I could transition us a little bit, uh, this this really has like two parts and two two sections to it. So the first one is against email and kind of setting up the problem, and the second one gets into really the the practical side of like what what to do about it and how to go from being distracted to doing the deep work, doing your most creative work, cre- creating more value for the world. So I'd love to kind of get into that second half if that if that's good, just to because I think it's more than just you know kind of like optimizing email. I think the real purpose of this book is to say email is the thing that needs to be pushed away so that we can focus on the essentials. You know what I mean? Good. Okay. That seems right. It's more than optimizing email because it's not that, well, what if we do the autocomplete text in Gmail. I see, yes. you know, that's mentioned in a quote. Like some, you know, Rosa would say, look, that's the same problem. You thought you're going to make it faster, but it's probably, you know, the problem is not making it faster yes. and optimizing email. That's kind of missing it. So yeah, take us into that second, that second half. Yeah. There's, and there's so much to cover, but it really is about focusing on meaningful work. And that's really the thread I think that you see in from so good they can't ignore you to deep work to digital minimalism. It's not just about like boycotting social media when he wrote digital minimalism. It's about how is this actually, is this actually adding value to my life or to the world? And one kind of practical thing that he does to kind of prove out this idea of how, how we need to be thoughtful about improving like what we pay attention to. So basically, he he kind of had this really simple idea that over the past hundred years, 
if you look at the industries, the factories in their performance, they have grown incredibly. Like, I don't know what the numbers are, but orders of magnitude faster and more efficient than 100 years ago because of technology improvements, because of efficiency improvements, all these different advancements and innovations. But if you look at the output of individuals and businesses, optimization has gone like a couple percentages or something like negligible, not orders of magnitude. And so he's like, the actual growth of the economy is probably stunted by email. Like he kind of zooms it out all the way to that macro. And he's like, because we're not supposed to be spending our days doing email. That's not what a skilled software engineer who's spent years honing their craft is best serving their company by doing, you know, it's not like what a, you should be doing as a writer or producer or photographer. And so I think it's really, that was a very long winded way of saying, let's dive into the second half. But I think that there's just, it's a very kind of compelling idea to, to not let your email and other people's kind of wishes and communications that might not even always be well thought through become your to-do list. Cause I think that can happen as a default for me sometimes is whatever those messages are becomes my to-do. To jump in just one comment before you, you hit it, if that's all yeah. right. You know, this is part of a broader, I think, problem of instrumental thinking, uh, which we won't get into too much here, but an idea that Theodore Adorno really thought deeply about which is that there's been a shift in thinking about like efficiency, productivity, the instrumental goal that has become the forefront of our efforts. And so he, he connects it to, to capitalism. But I think the idea is a bit even broader than that, is that we spend so much time thinking about how can we be more productive, more efficient. You know, we do all of, like you said, these incredible innovations in machinery and technology. But the human element, the kind of telos or the goal or the worker as the subject, right, gets neglected sometimes. You know, the actual, you know, you can so easily become worker number two, three, one, four, right? And you've got an instrumental role to play and and email is part of this larger machinery because we want to be as efficient as possible. But basically, one of the critiques that Adorno has is like efficiency is a bad goal Mm. because you're efficient at doing what? Like you can be efficient at doing things that are not helpful. And so if you see like email, we can become crazy efficient at email, but if email's not helping us get things accomplished and move forward and make meaningful growth, right? Well, then we congratulations, you've become really efficient at something that doesn't matter. And that's something that Adorno's really, you know, he's takes seriously. Like, you know, what we're not just shooting for faster, and this is where there's some overlap with Rosa, we're shooting, we have to be shooting for something better. Because I think, you know, we can easily get caught into the, let's just make email more optimized. And at the same time, that could really miss, you could just kind of miss the point or you could neglect bigger fish to fry. So just, that was just something that came to my mind. I thought I'd throw out. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. So getting into this uh, second half and the principles for life without email, I think that's the title. 
there's basically three core chapters in this section, and he goes over three ways that we can pursue deeper work and more meaningful lives. The first is process principle, protocol principle, and then specialization principle. So these three principles are the core ideas of really, I think, what the meat of the book gets into. The process principle is about building out systems in order to push away that instant communication and replace it with something that's thoughtful and doesn't require lots of back and forth and ad hoc messages every time. The protocol principle is really about setting rules and systems around how you communicate. So a a practical example is the five sentence email. There's like a website. If you can just Google five sentence emails, someone puts someone, it was a president of like a prestigious university. And he had always, he wrote his emails in five sentences or less. And at the bottom in the subject, in the, by his name, he had a link to why is this email five sentences or less? And you go to that website and it's basically like probably a paragraph or something or a couple of sentences explaining email is a distraction and you have this thing that happens where the more successful you get, the more emails you get so that you can have less and less time doing the thing that made you successful. So I answer my emails in five sentences or less so that that doesn't happen. Basically, more or less, that was the idea. And then the third section was specialization. And that's the idea of that one is really that the more value that you can generate as a specialist, well, sorry, as a specialist, the most value you can generate is by doing your specialty, right? If you're a software engineer, it's doing software engineering and providing valuable thoughts to the team and ideas. If you're a writer, it's writing it's and research and editing. It's not email. And so that's where you really get into how can you figure out what you're kind of honing on what you need to be pursuing as and, and removing the the distractions. So there's so many different practical things that I think we could get into for application, but what stood out to you and in those uh, big ideas, I guess. Yeah. Continuing from even last week's conversation about compound interest and system buildings, you know, that one of the core themes seems to be having some sort of approach, a cognizant approach that's mindful, like that five sentence, right? He has a philosophy of email that you're getting there. And so developing some sort of approach with intention, a system, or if you want to call it a protocol, or just something that's going to discipline our use of email, because it's very much so you're trying to create boundaries, not to just create boundaries, but to redirect that time and mental effort towards specialization, towards what you want to be doing. And I think that's absolutely true. And so for me, I'm thinking about how I could maybe try this out this week, setting up maybe some times throughout the day to check email and respond. And I might actually just take off the notifications from my phone because those are the ones that always ping for me uh, that can be distracting. But yeah, I, I think it's a positive program, right? Again, Newport's not trying to destroy technology. He's not trying to uh, to say that these are not tools that we can use. He just wants us to think clearly about how we're using them. And that seems to be a common theme that you know we continue to keep running into. The more podcasts that we do, the more things 
that we talk about being mindful of how you're doing things is a big part of the creative process. It's, it's that meta reflection of, you know, you don't just sit down and write or you don't just sit down and start producing music, right? You have to engage yourself with some sort of dialogue about how you're doing these things. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of reflection that Newport wants to invite us into. So to get practical and to bring these ideas into the creative workflow, the creative lifestyle or whatever we want to call it, I have a kind of a question for you is he talks about this idea of attention capital and he says attention capital is like the currency of the knowledge worker. And I think that we could just replace that with the creative. So for you, we push email to the side, we take these applications, you take the notifications off your phone, you start uh, maybe batching email once in the morning, once in the afternoon, something like that. You're less distracted, but what is that thing that you need to, what is that attention capital for you? Like what's the number one thing that kind of the value that only you can provide type of thing that you want to be focusing on instead? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, even to think about, we think about it as capital. You know, I also think even conceiving of it as fuel you know, capital is an interesting thing to think about it as, but sometimes you don't have like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting too far into the metaphor, but sometimes you don't have direct exchange, right? We can't just like quantitatively say these are all the things that we do. You know, I'm always very hesitant to like quantify things because it's very tough to do. But but I think capital is a good, a good first stab at it, but fuel or bandwidth or energy, I guess energy, I guess the problem with energy is that's a bit of a vague term. And the problem with capital is that's hyper-specific. That'll be enough of me arguing with the the metaphor. I think the things that I want to do is I want to be engaging in deep reading, deep writing, deep thinking in Newport's conception, right? I want to be like, so this, this morning was actually a good example. So I'm on fall break. And so I had some kind of time in my schedule. I sat down and just read you know, four or five secondary sources on Cormac McCarthy and his work as it's conceived in the naturalist genre and engaging with these ideas of uh, determinism and free will. But anyway, I was able to block out a couple of hours to do that. And that's very rare for me to do in my schedule. But that's the kind of work that I want to do because that's when you're reading resources for me. I'm reading secondary scholarship. I'm tracing lines between them. I'm making notes. I'm trying to connect loose ends. I'm starting to conceive of a project, right? That's the kind of stuff that I love doing. That's the important work within you know, as an academic. And so when I get to do that, right, that's the goal. Or I get to sit down for, you know, hour and a half, two hours and just read and read and read and read and, you know, read a hundred, hundred plus pages is something that's worthwhile to me. Like that's, I want to do more of that. And so those are the things for me, if I can set up those blocks of time where I can do that and they're not super interrupted with, you know, the the million little things that also need to get, you know, put in their place, that would be my kind of ideal. Yeah. But I'll throw it right back at you. You know, how would you answer the question? Yeah. For me, the main activities that I think I need to be, you know, investing in at work would be 
typically it's 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 definitely going to fluctuate a lot more on the specifics depending on what what the needs are but there's kind of a couple big things you know i'm stepping into a new role in product management and so as much reading and learning as i can do to how and just in terms of how do i do this role definitely worthwhile and then reviewing um like really just strategy and thinking through high level ideas of where what we're doing related to the product the value the product provides to people the you know overall growth strategy you know like how do we acquire customers how do we retain customers and engage them how do we monetize and what's the structure for that just like thinking through the strategy and writing like there's so many things to write all the time there's there's help articles there's blogs there's just writing the things i'm learning i think really basically just echoing what you said like if i'm reading if i'm writing if i'm investing in a project that is directly related to making the product and the company better those are the definitely the big things and then also anything that i can do to build once and reuse so whether that's like setting up a standard process for hey every time we do this we're going to follow these steps or writing or you know sharing something to our team that can help someone else learn something that I made a mistake on like that kind of work that can compound later I think is also really worthwhile but so easy for me to kind of get through half of a day and be like which I can't I, I don't commit to a task you know I write down like five things I want to get done and I kind of end up doing like a little bit of half of them you know and it's just that idea of if you ask yourself, um, I've been quoting Tim Ferriss a lot on this episode, but I think he has a question of if I only accomplished X today, would I be happy that with today? Like what is the thing that I need to fill in there to say, if I write this report, if I complete this project today, then it's a good day kind of thing. I think that is a good way to going back to monotasking, really just say like, What's that one priority for today? Yeah, and I think you're right in describing this. You know, I encounter it a lot too. We've got five, six things that we'd like to do, and we're ready to do all of them, and all of them could warrant saying, I'm the one that you should do. And I think the interesting thing about email within this is that that's already hard enough. And so without email, you're already going to get faced with those four to five things that are vying for your attention. And so you enter in, you know, enter in bureaucratic emails that you have to respond to, you know, bureaucratic in the way that it's about, I don't know, scheduling the time to schedule something else, to orders that, you know, whatever the bureaucratic nature of it is, right? That's now adding itself to that list of four or five things that you really want to do. And it's easy to think that it holds the same weight of its demand on your schedule. You know, I think that's one of the, the, the email creep of all of a sudden, I think this email has now, it's now pinging my attention as much as the things that I ought to be doing. Yes. So it's already hard enough to figure out what you're going to do. And you've already got to kind of monotask, but then you add email creeping in and saying, you know, consider me too. And it just makes the decision even harder. Yeah. I think you hit a point where you've had so many distractions that you cannot focus. You just 
feel pulled in so many directions. And he, there's, I, I'm pretty sure that there's studies that have shown that that rapid task switching, multitasking, or even just, um, oh, what's the word that Newport uses all the time? I think I have it. Context switching. You know, context switching is not, is, uh, is really detrimental to focus. And, um, you know, something else that I keep coming back to is this idea that I've seen across several books this year that talks about how there seems to be this almost magic number of like three to four hours a day. That's like how much you can really expect on the high end to like go into like a deep focused flow. I'm working very hard. I'm not distracted. I'm cranking out words on the page or I'm really having some solid thoughts and I'm writing them out for a strategy or designing a page, putting together a photo book, whatever your project is, just you can only have that high intensity for so many hours. And so I think that kind of comes in, you know, this this whole conversation needs to fit into a bigger conversation about planning your days, planning your priorities, work and rest. For sure. All kinds of just like general life and productivity kind of conversations. For sure. You know, fixing your emails ain't going to fix everything. And it is it is one among many things that can be demanding on our time. And it is part of a broader, like you mentioned, journey to try to get things in their place and understand how setting those boundaries can not be restrictive, but just helpful and doing the things that are meaningful. I wish, I wish that I could spend four to five hours a day on like work and then not have to do, you know, that kind of high level work. But I feel like sometimes with the schedule, unless you're Tim Ferriss, you do not have that four hour, whatever work week he talks about, you know, it, it is, it can be difficult. And so for me, a lot of the time it, it becomes a decision. What is the stuff that I can do functioning out? You know, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip at 65% capacity. What, what are the tasks that, that need to get done that do not require me? You know, they can get done with that. All you need is 65% to do them and trying to order them in a way that, I'm not giving that rich time to the 65% ones. And we've talked about that before. You know, like organizing, and you've done a lot of work with your daily calendar, what times of day you're at kind of optimal, I don't want to say productivity, but just your ultimate strength. <laughs> I don't know what you want to say. You're just functioning at full full capacity. Let's say that. Yeah, it, it happened today, man. Like four, three, four o'clock rolled around, and I was just like, gosh, I really want to knock out this presentation pitch thing I'm trying to finish, but I am dead right now. Like I was just, sure. I was just like, you know, it's not that I'm not trying or working hard. I'm just in a sort of like physical low right now. Like I'm tired, worn out, a little just like fuzzy in in terms of thinking and clarity. And yeah, it's just a part of my daily kind of like cycle of energy. But man, this is good stuff. I mean, there's so much that we could kind of like share for applications. And honestly, I would say just as a plug, like the book goes into a lot more practical stuff. There's case studies on optimize.me, on the extreme programming methodology, a case, case study on using Trello boards at a marketing firm, just really specific advice on how to build out a really good task list for yourself or to-do list. 
he uses the Kanban system, you know, like it's that visual board. If you've seen one of those where you have maybe four or five columns, the typical ones are to do, which is like your backlog doing work in progress and then done maybe another one for blocked and moving your, moving your tasks from one uh, column in the board to the next. And then if you use a tool like Trello or Notion, you can actually click on those cards and then see a lot of relevant information inside of that card. And he goes into building out systems with that and like why it's effective. And it sounds really simple as an idea, but it's pretty interesting to see where he takes all that. There's just so much more you could get out of this book if you do take the time to read it. Um, so I highly recommend it. But I think that we maybe land the plane now and dive into quote of the week. So the quote of the week is going to come from a world without email just feels appropriate and really just kind of dives into a little bit more of the problem just to, to kind of close this out here. Actually, Carter, I've been doing a lot of talking on this. Do you want to read this one? Sure. Constant communication is not something that gets in the way of real work. It has instead become totally intertwined in how this work actually gets done, preventing easy efforts to reduce distractions through better habits or short-lived management stunts like email-free Fridays. Real improvement, it became clear, would require fundamental change to how we organize our professional efforts. Okay, I'm going to interject right there. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> like there need like it's not. We talked about this, and I think it's totally true. You cannot just make email faster. It's and I think that goes back to Rosa. It go back. It goes back to Adorno. It goes back to you could even take the Wendell Berry dwelling idea. Or uh, you, there's a hundred ways that you can go at this and say it's not gonna email free Friday is not the answer. So I just had to, I had to jump in on that. All right, picking back up our quote. Real improvement, it became clear, would require fundamental change to how we organize our professional efforts. It also became clear that these changes can't come too soon. Whereas email overload emerged as a fashionable annoyance in the early 2000s, it has recently advanced into a much more serious problem, reaching a saturation point for many in which their actual productive output gets squeezed into the early morning or evenings and weekends while their workdays devolve into Sisyphean battles against their inboxes, a uniquely misery-inducing approach to getting things done. That's a great quote. It is. Yeah, I mean, that just sums up a lot of his big idea. I think email is pushing away the work that might actually change our careers and trajectory and the value we can really provide to the world. So uh, maybe that's kind of the question to end on is what what's the work that you ought to or that you feel called to invest in and really, you know, dive into versus the emails. So, because it's really not just about removing email. It's about focusing in on, on those things that you can do best and that provide the most value. Yeah, exactly. So what work should you be doing? How can you make your schedule conducive to that? And also how can you make, you know, do your small contribution to making a culture that's going to be like, uh, Newport says fundamental change to how we organize professional efforts. We could be a part of that too, I think. And maybe one day we'll have a world without email. Oh, nice. As you sail off into the sunset. That's right. This has been great, man. Thank you for uh, diving into this. And it was a lot of fun. 
Well, that's all for today. We will see you all in the next episode. Definitely go back and check out the other book reviews on deep work and digital minimalism. Check out Cal Newport's work at calnewport.com. He's actually somewhat famously not on any social media platforms. So you'll find all the stuff you need for him on his website, links to his books, newsletter, all that stuff, a deep catalog of blogs. And check out his Deep Questions podcast too. It's really interesting. Uh, it has a lot of calls and questions he asks. So, But my favorite part of it is just the deep dive he does on each episode where he actually talks about a core concept. Um, so if you wanted a little bit more of a, you know, from the author view of his book, A World Without Email, I'm sure you could find an episode on there to scratch that itch. But thanks for listening and we'll see you all in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com, H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.